0: I don't wanna say it so bluntly, but almost seems like healthcare is throwing family members breadcrumbs mm. to just delay the the situation from happening. Yeah. Because they don't
1: they don't know how how else nicely to put it. Yeah. Sometimes more options isn't isn't always the best. I know we like to have different flavors flavors of ice cream, but coast is probably not the place to have multiple flavors. Oh I
0: gotta go. Hey. I've been working, told
1: them, please don't hit my phone. I'm in my zone, bro, just leave me alone. Hey was on the road but that's why i'm coming home now the drinks on me i think
0: we need a toast see i did it for me now my old friends calling told them nothing's for free told me time is money dog that's why i paid on my fees i was starving for this game now my fan they can eat. hey everyone welcome to the cup of nurses show here with your hosts peter and matt and we are on a mission to change the world one conversation at a time, so let's jump right into it. But before that, if you find value in the show and want to join us on this mission, please share and review the show. It would mean everything to us. nurses.com for the latest information, updates on what we're up to, and the latest merch releases. For our lifestyle podcast and Conscious Movement, check out
1: WeAreFrontlineWarriors.com. In this episode, we're going to talk about the ethics of different co-statuses. Should people have an option to be a partial code? Is there any benefit of a partial code? Many people think that there should be only be two options. Either we do everything as a full code or we do nothing as in a no code. And
0: this episode was inspired by an experience that we had a couple of days ago working in the ICU. We've had an episode about code statuses before but I think it's time to discuss the ethical dilemma that we see here in partial codes ultimately. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to code statuses, The main thing we want to know about this situation is what is your code status, right? But ultimately, what it stems down to is the quality of life that you're trying to have. Depending on different cancers, different progressions of disease you might have in the hospital, we bring up code status to, to family members multiple times. Usually, palliative care does it, depending on what's going on, if they need dialysis, if they're gets diagnosed with cancer and et cetera. So main thing we always want to look out for is the quality of life that the patient's going to have. We can do a lot of procedures as always extend life, put a trach in, put them in a nursing
1: home, but is it always the right thing to do? Yeah. Another great area of nursing for sure. Because before, before the, you could say creation or the allowance of partial codes that was either you're a full code or you're a no code. Now people have become a little bit more specific on what they want done they give they're given more options. Like Matt said, you could either be just, just medication. So if your heart was to stop, then all we really do is push 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 meds. Or it could be no CPR, but it's okay to intubate. So we would intubate you and push critical medic life saving medication. So those are that's another option. But like you said, the thing is the quality of life. Because time time matters. Every second there's there's there are cells dying and every second that your heart is not beating, you're not being perfused. Because we even had a discussion Prior to to this episode, if you have no circulatory system activation going on, so your heart's not not pumping, is there really any kind of action transportation going on between the blood and in the tissues? There isn't because you mentioned that there's the pressure. You have to have the pressure. Without, without the pressure, you don't have the whole cascade of other events that require oxygen to move from the blood to the tissues and then CO2 from the tissues to the blood.
0: AKA okay, cell death. Mm. And I'm thinking about partial codes, we could touch up on that full code status thing, or the full code blue that happened. Sometimes code statuses can be beneficial when it comes to partial, when let's just say I want to be a full code, and I'm going to be on BiPAP. Okay, there's a chain of event that's going to happen. If you're a DNR, we're probably going to transition you to comfort measures ultimately, or maybe when your heart stops beating, you'll be a DNR. But if it's at the dni situation do not intubate let's just say okay you're on bipep max out on support the only thing that's going to help you now is the vent you're gasping for you're getting tired as hell patient doesn't want or family doesn't want to intubate all right well eventually this patient is going to get exhausted maybe going to vtac going to pea and we're going to have to start a code so we're going to do compressions do meds let's just say but they don't want to intubate Well, part of the whole code is to establish an effective airway so we can actually perfuse your cells, because the whole point of saving your life is for you to have the best quality of life when you get out of this Mm. procedure. So now that we're not intubating, we're still doing everything else except for that one component, what if we didn't perfuse it properly during CPR and the whole code, and it led to anoxic Mm. brain injury? So that's where it gets, it's such a gray area, just like you mentioned, because we really want to do the best for the patient, so... I think giving this ability to have partial codes, I think it should be discussed
1: more specifically or and more precision-based on every single patient. Mm. Yeah, just to throw some numbers here at you guys and, and, and stats, if you cardiac arrest outside a hospital, your chances of, of coming back alive and surviving is 12%. And that's with no intervention, you could say. So there's, there's a small chance that you're going to, you could say, almost reattain your, your heartbeat by by itself just intrinsically for whatever reason that happens if you throw in cpr into it your survival rate goes from 12 percent to about 24 or, or 36 so just doing cpr doubles and triples your chances of of coming out of that cardiac arrest alive um, if you call outside a hospital like i said 12 percent in hospital so if you cardiac arrest in, in hospital and we're all there around standby your chances of living it goes up to 25 percent so cpr itself is, is helpful but but even without cpr even with and without your chances of survival are still about 25 percent so it's not it's not it's not high so yeah. If you, yeah so this is why in medicine we try to prevent this cardiac arrest because like don't know that once you cardiac arrest you have about 12 to 36 percent chance of surviving which, which isn't much so we literally try to do every single thing to keep your heart from not stopping. If you go bradycardic, we give you atropine. If you go into a VTAC, we want to slow it down so then your heart doesn't, doesn't stop itself from beating. you could say, from being overworked. So we try to, really hard to avoid these situations because this is the worst situation you're going to, to be in or your, or your loved one, and it's what we want to prevent because other things are more, more reversible, or are easier to reverse than, than cardiac arrest that has about a 12% to a 36% chance of survival.
0: Not to mention the survival rates when you have increased morbidities, obesity, mm-hmm. a type of cancer, a chronic illness that's affecting you. Your chances of survival are average from 5 to less than 1% respectively. Mm-hmm. So it's not looking good. We want to prevent that to happen. Uh, but just because just we kind of jumped around here. So to define code status, if a patient gets admitted to the hospital, we want to know that thing right away. When I'm getting a patient and I'm admitting it, and I'm looking into the ER notes. I want to find out what the code status is mm-hmm. because for the healthcare team, we want to know how we should treat you, what procedures we, t- we should do because we want to
1: respect your wishes. Mm-hmm. So that's the main thing of uh, knowing your code status. And and we don't we don't want to know it because, for example, we think you're going to code. We just want to know it because it's always a possibility. It's always in the back of your mind, like, like a just in case. because. People don't, there's not like people that code, code in a hospital. It's not like, especially here where we're at, it's not like somebody codes every day. In other hospitals, it might be more frequent, but it's not something that happens every single day on your unit. So we don't ask for the code status to, to predict you from coding or, or predict when you're going to code. We use it as a, a sense of direction of what to do when you're not able to let us know what you want done.
0: And to be honest, the partial code situation, sometimes it gets funny where like night shift begins and let's just say the transition between shifts, family still deciding, doctor wrote some no, and I had an episode when it was about to be change of shift. My patient went into a VTAC with a pulse and we don't know what we should be doing. Should we start AMIO or should we do a shock? What kind of uh, partial dnr status issue What what's the uh, dnr there and it was just so confusing because in that moment i couldn't decide or i couldn't figure out what it was i literally blanked out mm. the last 15 minutes of my shift and i had to look it up quickly in the notes so another great area that makes it more confusing for us mm.
1: yeah, it's difficult it's especially because now we live in a time where people want to shift things for for themselves in their own direction People are, you could say, a little bit more more pickier. And as a society, we allow for more of this pickiness because we all want to mold these decisions to make it more comfortable for us. Sometimes people need to realize that it's either white or black. A lot of things in life aren't white and black. Maybe this is something that, that should be white and black because we know how important time is. And this is where like the ethical dilemma comes into play. The main objection to partial code orders is that they are ineffective in sustaining life and, and can potentially deceive the patient and our family member into believing that resuscitation is possible when, in fact, the patient's death is imminent. So, with these partial codes, we tell it's almost like we allow this to happen just to make the family feel better. But it's one of those things where, where if you, if you for example, just take the concept of, of life, for example, you have a full code, which means you're trying to do everything you can to fully be alive. And then you have a no-code situation where if your heart stops, then you're just going to be as is and not touch you and not, you, not, not push you in a specific direction. And if now you bring in a partial code, do you want to partially bring you back to life? Because if you decide on, on a partial code, we're not doing every single thing we can to better your chances of coming out of that cardiac arrest. So that's where it becomes very gray and very, very, it becomes a very big ethical issue because a lot of times when we partially code these people it's to say we do intubation and meds only no CPR and it's, this patient gets their heart beat back. They've been down for longer than somebody that has received CPR and the other things. So going back to the quality, quality of life that you mentioned, if we're partially coding people and a code is taking longer and yet the patients are still coming out of this code, we're not really giving them the best chances of, of future success. You're giving them just – it's almost like you're giving a family a pass as to what's going to happen. And it's a double-edged sword because we're the ones allowing this. So the family is going to do this because nobody, nobody wants to make the decision of, yes, my loved one should be a folk call. Let's do everything to know I'll, I don't want anything done to my loved one or, or to myself. And yeah. then, then it becomes an, an issue because like you, always, like you mentioned before, that the main thing is the quality of life. That has to come to play to this because you're not gonna try your hardest to bring somebody back from cardiac arrest, then is there really a point of doing it if you're just delaying the the whole almost dying process? That's it.
0: And reflecting back to that specific situation that this happened, this was more of a respiratory code where quickly just happened Brady down. We couldn't figure out what what was going on. We were doing meds only, so no CPR. And we had a hard time bagging, her. you can tell that air is going into the stomach. We called the son and he agreed for the intubation because she was a DNI. After we intubate, we've realized that she had a crazy mucus plug. They were literally suctioning out the airway in between breathing her to get all that out. Okay, we found out the problem. But this took 10 minutes between a phone call to getting her intubated, finally to establishing a good airway, how much brain cells or cell death happened in that time where we didn't have an effective airway, weren't perfusing her, and weren't doing any circulation. So both cardiopulmonary resuscitation in that situation was just taken away. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we saved her, but what's going to happen? Back to quality of life. Well, she's going to have anoxic brain injury for being down for too long. We saved her life, but this happened. You never tell the family that this could have been prevented if she was just a full code mm-hmm. if this situation were to arise. And that's where the whole... The trickiness things happen of doing partial codes for example the the BiPAP situation we're only waiting for the worst to happen and now we're not going to be able to do the, do the airway mm-hmm. so what if we just transition to comfort care maybe it's a conversation you know there's two aspects to this dilemma there's one the family that won't let go and then there's the doctor that maybe is not explaining the disease process correctly of what's happening you can tell somebody they have cancer whatever they'll still intubate them and we're just going to have them on full support to the family decides to transition. Mm-hmm. So it's I w- I would love to work day shift to see these conversations play out with palliative or whoever's happening. I want to know and that's why we've done night shift for so long is how how are these situations going down? What's going ha- what's happening? And I'm reflecting back to one situation we worked days for one contract in the um in 3 months in LA. I had a patient who had cancer Palliative came in and had a conversation. Palliative walked out. Patient still asks me, What's full code? Um, What education was provided to this family? And that's where things bother me. So, like, what's the gap that we have? Too little time with family spent and explaining the situation, or is it stubborn mm -hmm. family? I'm sure it's a combination, but it just creates way too much of a gray area. Then you play with code statuses and you have bad situations, and ultimately the patient suffers more than anything.
1: And that's when you have that compa- compassion fatigue when you're seeing all this play out. Yeah, I'm not sure if your opinion has changed about these partial codes, uh, but mine definitely has. I know yeah. when I was a, a new grad, maybe the first couple of years of my nursing career, I was completely open to partial codes. I was like, yeah, it's whatever the family wants, they should be able to have. Whatever the patient wants, they should be able to have. But then over the years after seeing a bunch of codes, partial codes and, and full codes, these partial codes really don't work very often, rarely. They, they rarely work. Maybe they work if you start them, you could say, before the patient cardiac arrests. Like, sometimes you might want to, they might be braiding down and being hypotensive, so you might put them on, like, a, a drip before they fully cardiac cardiac arrest. But once they cardiac cardiac arrest, if you're not trying to do every single measure possible, it's really hard to bring somebody back. But now, when you look at the flip side, the people that are probably for partial codes, it's... It's different when you haven't seen a code actually happen and you've, you haven't seen somebody actually do compression on somebody else because somebody is literally using both their hands and a good amount of strength to get your heartbeat to start working again. A lot of times bones get broken, sternum gets, gets broken and it's a messy process. It's not, it's not very pretty. Sometimes they start bleeding orally. Sometimes when you intubate them, you just see blood coming out because you've been doing compressions for such a long time, doing everything that, that, we, that we can to... To bring it back where it's gruesome, where I understand that if a family member sees that happen to their loved one, maybe they don't want to do a full coding what they want to do just no CPR. But it's one of those things where you're just kind of being being picky.
0: Side note, mm. did you ever eat the crunch candy bar? Yeah. So there was a meme, when giving CPR, that's how it feels. Dude. When you're taking a bite, it makes those crunches. When mm. we're cracking the chest, that's the crunch that we're experiencing when the sternum is cracking.
1: Yeah. And, it's, and it's, it's not funny. You're just like, oh, and you know, and you know you did it. And you're like, wow, now this... Poor old lady, not only is she going to have a long rehab process of cardiac rehab because we got her pulse back, now she's going to possibly need some kind of a surgery or might need some kind of a plate in her sternum in the future if it's if she pulls through. But the thing is, like, why would you not, if you're going to give somebody a chance back at life, why not give them the, the full chance? That's what, what it should just be between a physician and a family. It's just, hey, do you want us to do everything or do you want us to do nothing? Do you want to give your loved one? A full chance of coming back, or do you not want to give them anything at all? Because this partial stuff, like I said, over the, over the years, I've noticed that it doesn't really work very well, and it's more of just like those picky things. It either leads to just a prolonged hospital stay where the patient ends up dying anyways, or it just d- doesn't work.
0: Yeah, this sounds like a. I don't want to say it so bluntly, but almost seems like healthcare is throwing family members breadcrumbs. Mm to just delay the the situation from happening yeah sometimes they they don't know how how else nicely to put it
1: yeah sometimes more options isn't isn't always the best i know we like to have different flavors flavors of ice cream but cold status is probably not the place to have multiple flavors
0: yeah and there's also the the other dark side of having a full code patient uh this was in texas where the patient was intubated and Brain death was announced on the CT scan, and family still wanted to keep them alive, and then turn into like this whole financial case mm. thing open up, where the ethics committee had to get involved to say that this is not appropriate. How can you have somebody like twenty days on event? It's when you smell when you walk into the patient's room, it smells like a dead corpse. Like I don't know how else to put it. I got mm. chills. We had to open up the window, and usually the, all the windows are you know on the lock. And we're trying to air the room out. And we're still, and it sucks because you're coming to work and it's it doesn't feel as rewarding because you're doing something that's ethically wrong. Yeah. And you still have to kind of provide the best care you can in this situation. So that's the other full spectrum with dealing with family, having a full code, and the family just doesn't understand to let go of the patient.
1: Yeah, and so there's a feeling that, like, for example, the patient you're talking about, when you enter a room like that, you almost feel like like it's just the body in that room The person that was in that body is now gone and sometimes we even feel that when we have patients that post that were post code and maybe they're still in the hospital for a month there's still some brain brain function but you know that person is not going to be the same ever ever again so you just enter a room and you just feel that this person just is not there yeah heart rates in the 70s 80s on a monitor yeah he's he's getting Twenty two respirations per, per event. Yeah, he's circulating with a map glove of sixty five plus without his medication, but mental brain activity, he's not gonna be the same. It's just you just feel that 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 soul is now gone out of that body. And it's just it's just there. It's just that's what it that's what it feels like. It's almost feels mundane. So you walk into that room and you have almost like no emotion. You feel sad, but it's like what are you feeling sad for? Because there's, there's nothing there besides a body, which is kind of crazy conscious to think about. I think about it like that, but this is how it feels sometimes. Nurses are
0: becoming the next vets as well, as that, mm. that sounds, because of the PTSD that we're experiencing. And that's just to add it on flavor when you mm. join the ICU, you see. Or you might see it on the floor when things are happening, but usually they get transferred down, and then we deal with the heavy ethical issues that happen mm. in the ICU, so fun little concept that we looked up is how much time do we actually have till brain damage occurs. So during d- during a cardiac arrest, when we're initiating CPR, we want to start it within two minutes. That's because the third minute that reaches, you're going to have global cerebral ischemia because of the lack of blood flow to the brain, leading to uh, the brain injury. And it gets progressively worse. After nine minutes, you have severe to permanent brain damage. And after 10 minutes, there's low chances of survival.
1: And even if you bring them back after the three, four minute mark, the chances of them leaving the hospital are, are, are very slim. I think it's like 80% of people that code end up not walking out of the hospital. So that's why we always want to negate a code situation. We literally want to do everything to prevent it. And the crazy thing is now you have – we talked about the whole episode, If you have these partial codes. So it's like you can't, man. Because your uh, instructor was also not fond of these partial codes, yeah, he said it's unethical, because mm-hmm. it's like it's either you have two feet here or two feet there that's that's, that's what it is, and like I said it's the, the issue is with the with the physician and commun- and the physician communication with the patients has to be it's just one of those things where we talk to the family they're not they're not sure if they want to do a full code or not full code, so you just kind of throw in that hey we could, we could also make them a partial code if you're not really sure. And maybe we're probably doing a disservice because think about it. It's either we do everything we can to bring it back or we don't do anything. And that's that's the way, unfortunately, how, how things are. Yeah, You can't they, be picky with this thing.
0: You can't be. And also as a healthcare provider, the family and the patient deserves to know things in real time to potentially change code status to prevent things from getting worse or Having a serious complication where you're going to have a decreased quality of your life if we do bring you out. Mm. So it could be a full, full status. All of a sudden, you maybe get a pneumothorax. We put a chest tube in BiPAP. Things aren't looking good. He already has lung to the METs. What are we doing here? He was a full code. We're trying to do chemo to save his life. But now, within this hour, three hours, he became obtundent. The course of direction has to change. We need mm. to intubate him. But he has lung cancer. He is not doesn't qualify for the transplant list. What are we doing here? Let's be honest. And these are the conversations that we need to have as a physician. I feel like some physicians are a little bit soft too. I'm not gonna. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. Ca- calling it out what it is. We have to be more upfront and and have these serious conversations as things are happening because when you talk to these patients, they really don't know what we know. There's such a disparity in the gap of knowledge and. Even discharging patients home, we give them a pamphlet and we assume that they're not going to know how to take care of their CHF or their diabetes. And they come back and they don't know how to use a glucometer. And mm-hmm. it's just the reality of life. We need to get better at, at bridging that, uh, that gap of, mm-hmm.
1: um, of knowledge. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the, the part about the physician being soft because that's, that's so true. That's so true. There's a lot of times nurses keep trying to get this code status reversed. And a physician either doesn't want to talk to the family a second or third time. And I kind of understand it because I'm sure they would think about it differently about the the patient a ventilator that's just getting by with the machines if they actually spent a lot of time with these machines. Physicians, they have a high patient load. They're they're in and out of rooms, they're just assessing and then reacting to whatever the, the patient is, is is doing. They're not actually with the patient. 24 hours a day like nurses are or 12 hours a shift depending on, on how your, your your cycle is so it's different when you actually have somebody that's a full code but on all this life support stuff that you know that is not going to walk out of hospital that you know that the brain damage is already done and you want to give this person let's just say a passful passing or peaceful passing and and you can't but you keep telling the physician hey I think it's a good time to talk with the family again. There's nothing we could do. He's around three pressures, this and this. He's, it's imminent. The code, code is imminent. And he's already having this brain damage from the anoxic brain injury that he sustained from the first code. And we're just waiting him, for him to code a second time. Because if you code a second time, your chances of survival are, are even lower. But we're just waiting at that point. And it's a lot better for us as nurses and even to family members if you just let that person go, go peacefully. And physician have to facilitate that. And it's true, some physicians are soft. They don't want to address it over again. And sometimes they're, they're not soft. They just don't understand what it is to have just a, a a body there on a bunch of medications on these machines just laying there. And you're just doing doing work around it when you know that that person is not there anymore.
0: Yeah, and this is not coming after physicians. Well, it's and, not, I'm, yeah. and, I, and I'm thinking about it, too, where they, go, they have so much patience. They put in so much orders. They keep going in and out doing tasks where sometimes the human part disappears, mm. too. We we deal with bet, with uh, patients bedside and sometimes the uh, humanness disappears too and we're not communicating where we're just too busy hanging meds going from room to room and don't have time to hold somebody's hand and tell them they're doing good and mm. keep on fighting. So if we have that and we do bedside, imagine how the doctors feel. Like You make a good point. It's all numbers sometimes and lab values and the humanness gets taken away and we don't have the ability to critically think and say and stop this and like... Also, the whole dilemma of, it's not, how do I want to say it? It's not pleasant talking with family when they're in such a high stress, and we're almost like we avoid it, or we don't want to pick up the phone or make that phone call to the family. I'm sure doctors feel that way. Sometimes getting updates from family is not the best, especially when they're not annoying, but just super anxious about things, or don't trust us, and it makes things harder, so you know, imagine that. Imagine if we just picked up the phone more often to make things happen. So that's just all improvement that we can do in healthcare as we discuss every episode. Just uh, sharing the insight of how we could have a couple of nurses' hospital here to make some make some great changes, actually make it run properly. Because there's so much that we see that could be fixed from all the facilities we worked at, right?
1: Yeah, or even we. I was talking to one of the nurses here, and we talked about it before uh, when we used to work in Austin, about nurses nursing run hospitals but of course if you want a nursing run hospital nursing school would have to incorporate more of the finance financial science class. classes <laughs> the business administration classes and some of that they don't offer yeah offer uh, for for, uh, for nurses i wonder if they offer that for physicians do they have like a class like that that helps them with, with finances and how to start a like an office or a clinic or who knows man you know? my uncle got a business degree and they didn't even teach him how to open up an llc yeah. and run a business so i could only imagine what curriculum is, right. is for finance yeah yeah but we, we all need to do a better job with this code stuff it's very it's very touchy it's very difficult because we are talking about someone's loved ones or even our own our own patient because it's always yeah one of the scariest things ever or one of the most nerve things that you're going to experience as a new grad is when you're not sure what the code status is of the patient, like for admission. And you have to ask the patient, hey, do you want to be a full code? What would you like us to do in case your heartbeat stops? And sometimes you're going to be like, oh, wow, I never thought about that. Yeah. Or, for example, they have never thought about that, and now they come to you intubated on a bunch of pressures, and you got to call the family and tell them, hey, we have your, your son, he's on three blood pressure medications to keep his blood pressure up. He's being ventilated by, by a machine. And what would you like us to do? Do you think your son or loved one would want us to do everything in our power to bring him back if he was in this situation? A lot of times the patient are gonna or not the patient, but the family is going to be like, we never thought about it. We never had that talk. And it's like, damn. It's always kind of awkward and kind of sad because sometimes they ask you, hey, what do you think the chances are of my loved one coming back out of this? And it's always super hard answering that because they're so reliant on, on your answer. They're, they want you to provide some kind of glimmer of hope or, or they want you to answer that question for them, but you, you can't. It's, it's so hard to do because patients always ask, or, or the sorry, patient's family always asks, what are the chances of my loved one coming out of this? What would you do? What do you think? You've seen this multiple times. Do, people, do patients come out of this? And it's always the hardest thing to do. I try to be honest, and a lot of the times that honesty is me saying, "Yeah, I've seen many people in this situation, and not a lot of them come out and sometimes a lot of them that do come out aren't in the aren't in the best shape to begin with, and a lot of the times they end up passing away a couple of weeks afterwards
0: yeah and you're just being a patient advocate mm-hmm. at that point, and I know we're not we're supposed to refrain from doing that, but that is really the the right thing to do is to give some feedback in your experience of how the situation is going to play out and I feel like we have that time versus a doctor when we could be honest and blunt about it and ultimately the families you're giving honesty to the family and the patient and the patient's wishes are going to get respected more at the end of the day because they want quality of life and I feel like we can be great advocates for that and And help with code uh, situations or statuses and help facilitate that. Even though technically that's not our jurisdiction and we're practicing Mm. outside of the scope of practice as a nurse. It's okay to answer some questions or provide a little bit more perspective or feedback of what they can expect because we can do a better job than
1: doctors Mm. straight up. We and, see it. We live it. And to be honest, when I do talk about the code statuses with the patient and family, is I'm probably going to change up my, my routine. I usually give them the option of a partial code. I usually say, we could do everything in our power to get your loved one back to, res- to resuscitate them. Or we could do nothing and have them pass peacefully. And I was them a third option where it's like, or we could do, for example, no CPR or no intubation and meds only. And then they start thinking. I think I'm just going to lay forward maybe just two options. And if they want more information, then to just talk to the physician.
0: Yeah. I like to break it down a lot when they are intubated and they're thinking about getting a trach. Mm. And trachs never work out well, meaning there's patients that have it reversed. But a lot of times they come in and out of the hospital to us for pneumonia from nursing homes. And they're just miserable, Mm. man. I, I hate sputums and trach and all that. Just seeing somebody cough me needing to stick a damn catheter into their throat or mm. whatever, their trachea to mm. suction things
1: out, I don't wish that for anybody. Never. Not even myself, guys. Mm. I don't want a trach. Whoever invented the inline suction, that's that's clutch. Because imagine having to just like nasopharyngeal suction people and you're always healing that, that gurgle and you're always seeing that stuff. Because inline is less gross. Because inline, it's not as messy. So that's, shout out to whoever created the inline suction. Yeah. But for you personally, would you... Advocate for a partial code, or are you, you anti-partial code? Well,
0: see, I don't want to... Or
1: is something you don't want to say?
0: I'm going to speak. I just hate the whole left, right, right? What can, I can be in between, JK. This ain't that kind Isn't of situation. is between here right now, bro. I know, I know. I'm really vouching for not having partial codes. Mm. And just like all the scenarios that we explained, there's things that can maybe change. Like, okay, if they're intubated, we could do the DNR, DNI, because that means we're not going to do anything else, but... If they stop coding, are we going to just do meds? Mm-hmm. Okay, so back to that. Yeah, it has to be just one or the other. Mm. It's just going to be beneficial, ultimately, for the patient and for healthcare to confuse things and have a better – yeah.
1: Mm. Once you start introducing gray air into this, it becomes even gray air, mercury, and mercury. Because like like you said, for example, somebody says no CPR, but they want to be intubated and they want meds. So then if that's all they want and then we proactively intubate somebody – and then during the intubation process, they lose a pulse, do we stop there? Do we, do we stop stop intubating and, then, and and don't do CPR? Because technically, we're intubating. And since we tried to prolong their life proactively by trying to intubate them, now they lost the pulse. So it does happen. I've seen a handful of situations where we proactively intubate somebody because we think he's going to, he or she is going to code, or we just need to give them better respiratory support. And during the intubation process, they code. And then we're hopping on a chest, so that becomes super murky. Because if there were no CPR or when they lose a pulse, and now we just try to intubate and they lose a the CPR minute intubation, do we continue with the process, or do we just say, hey, no, never mind, we're pulling the ET 2 back, we're not doing anything, right? It becomes very, very confusing and even darker and darker and grayer and grayer. So that's and then uh, then the line keeps getting pushed further and further and further and further up until there's. All different types of codes. We're only going to allow this medication for the code. We only want our loved ones to have only Epi. We don't want any other other medications like amio or lidocaine or we don't want any kind of cardioversion. We just want straight meds or we just yeah. want cardioversion but no intubation, no CPR and no meds. It's just like whoa, 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 like hold on. And then you're gonna have mistakes happen. Because all because we want to satisfy the, the, the client. But we're not a we're not we are a service industry, but we're not a hotel chain. We don't just cater to the, to the patient's family, whatever they want, or the, or the patient, every, every little thing. One, someone gets put on a statin, let's just say like 50 milligrams or or, or whatever. Patient doesn't just say, no, I'm you on 25, so I, give me a prescription for 25. We don't say that, right? Well, so, why are we giving, giving these kind of great options to people that are not fully educated and don't fully understand this whole res, res, resuscitation process?
0: Yeah, and let's throw in the pulse form, which we're not really talking about. Is it called pulse? right? P O L S T. When you discuss uh, different uh, treatments mm. for the future. So, on top of code status, you have the Pulse form so you can see if you would like artificial nutrition, if you mm. want to get dialysis and the other stuff. And that has to be assessed too in real time. Mm. If you're a full code, but then on your Pulse form, it says DNR. Okay, well in about three or four days the kidneys are gonna go bad and you might have uremia or hyperkalemia and you might code. So now let's probably make you a DNR mm. if you don't wanna get dialysis and, and yeah. Like it's we can talk about this forever. Yeah. It's it's just murky, it has to get solved and it has to be per patient basis, but definitely playing around and picking and choosing doesn't work out mm. because it doesn't provide great care at the end of the day. Right, right. Yeah.
1: It should all either be two feet in or two feet out So we do everything we can or we don't do anything and you just go on your own.
0: Exactly. So that's just our perspective. I'm sure you have your own opinion and if you do, you can share it on our Facebook group or drop a comment somewhere. We're open to engaging and discussing.
1: Thank you so much, guys. See you in the next one.